welcome to the Real Estate Raw Show, hosted by Joe Mendoza. Hi guys, Joe Mendoza here in sunny San Diego. Welcome to my show. Thanks so much for subscribing, following, listening. Please spread the good word. Guys, today I'm super excited. We have on the show Mr. Aaron Norris, hey. whose son, he's the son of another legend here locally, Mr. Bruce Norris. They've done some big, incredible things with our community. They've brought so much value to the community. And now he's off into another venture that we're going to get into as well. He wrote an article that I want to talk about as well. Welcome to the show, Mr. Aaron Norris. Glad to be here. Happy Friday. <laughs> yeah, happy Friday. Happy Friday. And just for clarification, which Aaron Norris are you? <laughs> yeah, we were, before we dropped in the call, I was laughing. Uh, he, he said, I asked him if he was going to bring up anything controversial. He's like, well, there was that one picture. And I started to laugh because my 10-year high school reunion, I was an actor based out of New York City. And so, you know, you get curious. You start looking up your classmates. And a, a few of them stumbled upon um, porn sites, Aaron Norris. They didn't realize that Chuck Norris's brother is Aaron Norris, who is a producer and director. So I guess there's a genre of porn that's celebrity porn and so people are like oh Aaron's fallen on hard times he's had a side career <laughs> he, he's an actor <laughs> so well, this is not the same Aaron Norris right not the same Aaron Norris as an actor I went by Aaron Michael Norris for that very reason trying to uh, clear some of that up but yeah little case study in reputation management online <laughs> awesome awesome tell us about the Norris group tell us a little bit about property radar of course, Norris, the Norris Group is a hard money lender based out of California, and we do California and Florida. And uh, I, I think we're best known for market timing predictions. My father, Bruce Norris, has been at it since 97, trying to help investors know when to get in and out of the market. Um, he started the Norris Group in 97, basically to create a hard money lender because he was the biggest user of it. And we just started helping other investors. We train investors and uh, on the different ways to make money depending on timing in the market. So the strategies that you use you know, back in 07, 08, 09 with the stressed inventory, doesn't really apply right this moment in time in 2020. So it's about directing investors to the right strategies at the right time and then funding their deals. Um, and then Property Radar is, a, is a, a software as a service that helps real estate professionals, not just investors. I think that's a misnomer is that it's only based for investors. I've been a longtime user as a lender actually of Property Radar. So if you're a realtor, mortgage provider, real estate investor, or even service provider, like if you have a business in uh, pool installation, roofs, plumbing, anything, any business where you need uh, to consistently bring leads into your business to survive, that's what Property Radar helps you do. So we help fill your CRM. It's, uh, and they're going nationwide this year, and that's why I joined Property Radar. So I get to speak uh, at nationwide to help all kinds of real estate pros get better at their business and get more sophisticated. Uh, it's a little bit of a dream come true. I'm here for Main Street, so I'm having a lot of fun. Perfect, perfect. Thanks so much, Aaron. We're going to bounce around because you've got tons of experience. I'm going to ask you about investing. I'm going to ask you about all kinds of different things today. So guys, pay attention. Sure. He, um, his father trained him very well. He <laughs> went out of his way to learn even more. And he's well-connected, very educated, an investor, and knows about other kinds of facets of real estate, hard money, as you mentioned, trustee investing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so you wrote an article recently, 
And I've been sharing this with some of my coaching clients and, and friends and people that I mentor, what have you. And basically I said, hey, there's a lot of opportunity in absentees. You need to pursue that because, hmm. hey, when people are investing out of state typically and they see that we might be at that bubble or when it's going to start to turn again, this is, hey, buy low, sell high. Tell us a little bit about why people should start pursuing absentees and what are absentees? Absentee is basically non-owner occupied. Uh, it's in public records. It's going to have a different, the person's going to have a different mailing address. So I, as a landlord own a rental and in public records, it shows that, that I'm not marking that as my uh, primary residence that I live somewhere else. Uh, so absentee owners, there's several different opportunities in absentee owners. Um, and it's just diving into the opportunity depending on who you're talking to. So an, a, a non-owner occupant or a landlord uh, could be different. If you're looking, talking, trying to talk to somebody who just inherited a house that might not know anything about real estate and doesn't want it because they don't know what to do with it, uh, doesn't have the money to repair it, no experience, is very different than talking to an experienced landlord with a lot of properties. Now, even within that category, it's very different if you're talking to somebody who lives in the county, in the state versus out of state. So here in California, we've been super aggressive, for example, on moratoriums. How fun it, would it be to educate an investor, maybe in like a, a super real estate friendly state, I don't pick anyone you want, say, you know, hey, I know you live out of state, I happen to be a real estate investor, and I know you've owned this piece of property for over 10 years. Um, were you aware that, you know, California is considering this and this and this? You know, if they bought any time between 2009 and 2013, chances are the price has at least doubled on that rental for them. So they might be sitting on a lot of cash, they might not want to repair it. Uh, you know what, the, the options are endless, but it's about being able to hyper-local finding those unique talking points. We all get the yellow letters that are all fake. I mean, with no thought in who you're talking to. Um, you know, as a landlord, when I get those, I'm like, really? You didn't even try. <laughs> so anyway, absentee is a, is a huge bucket of uh, really cool strategy uh, opportunities. What if, uh, if you're talking to an experienced landlord? Um, would an experienced landlord uh, sit maybe who has owned a rental for 27 years, has basically done all the tax benefits they're going to get as far as depreciation, would they carry financing for you? Would they do a subject to deal for you because they're a little bit more sophisticated? Totally different route than if you're talking to an owner with equity. So anyway. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, Property Radar, the product, they have that access. What other target niches or markets should people start considering right now? You know what? We like to talk about chocolate versus peanut butter. Uh, when I do the, the rounds at the different clubs and associations, it's, I think why I love real estate investing in particular is that I was an actor based in New York City. Yes, I grew up fixing flipping since I was five years old, but I made my way into real estate. And I thought when I first started that I had to be a flipper because my dad was a flipper. Flipper stresses me out. And to be honest with you, I suck at it. I always over improve. I want to be proud of my work. And that just doesn't always work. And in this current market, this is my first full cycle as a real estate investor. The market sometimes saves you when it's going up. You make bad choices. Uh, you add upgrades that add absolutely zero value on the sales price. But because prices go up, you think you're amazing at flipping. No, <laughs> I'm not good at that. I'm a buy and hold guy. Uh, I read a John Shaw book one time that changed my life. And the formula is very simple. Buy a house a year 
get 10, pay them all off. You're done. I was like, that's it. And I've been buying rentals ever since. So anyway, there's just so many different opportunities depending on your personality type. Um, With the Norris group, I used to do something called the investor roadmap. And I would ask you four questions. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Um, How much money do you have? How much time do you have to dedicate to the business? And how much experience do you have? If you gave me those four questions and then I found out a little bit about your background, I could throw you very specific strategies on helping you get to the finish line or into the business more successfully and having a lot of fun. If you're an introvert and I'm throwing door knocking as maybe a strategy for you, will you not hate your life? I mean, (laughs) very nice, very nice. But that's a strategy right now that people are using. But if you're an introvert and you're really more data driven and you're looking for unique concepts to make money, I'm not going to steer you towards something like foreclosures. Yes, foreclosures are a very sexy topic. Yes, they might increase a tiny bit, but not in mass and not until next year. Um, How about looking at creating value by identifying lot splits? Maybe we look at accessory dwelling units. Maybe we look at areas where uh, two bedroom, one bathrooms uh, in high dollar markets like a Pasadena or LA somewhere. If you add that extra modern bedroom with a primary bathroom that's really nice, you know, maybe you can explode value. Maybe you don't even build it. Maybe you just find somebody who likes those kind of deals and you set it up for them. So, I think it's a, so that's the chocolate. The chocolate is what you bring to the business, your personality, what you're passionate about and niches that you love to own. And the data is the peanut butter. And it's when those two things collide, that's the magic. Very nice. Great, great tip. Guys, that's pretty much what you want to call the investor profile because you really got to stay in your lane because if you try to do it all, you're end up going to do nothing, you know, because it's one of those things where one puts on the gas, one puts on the brake and tell me how I know, you know. (laughs) It it happens to me probably at least once a month. I get somebody who goes through these guru training programs where they've, partly they're very stressed because sometimes they've spent five figures on a, on a very expensive program. Right. But they've also been told strategies. Uh, I think this happened to me a few years ago. Somebody called me, they're like, I'm doing REOs. I'm like, what? What state are you in? I'm in California. I'm like, uh, REOs, foreclosures? Oh, yep, going to do it. I'm like, okay, great. I was like, are, are you on your computer? Let's do this. So I had her go to Google. I was like, type in Bank of America, REOs. I'm like, great. Are you there? Uh-huh. Okay. What area do you want to buy in? She's like, Riverside. I'm like, fantastic. In her Riverside. She did it. She's like, uh, there's only five. I'm like, there's only five. <laughs> She's so disappointed. Oh, so, man. I mean... Part of it is definitely a a chocolate versus peanut butter conversation, and the other is timing. Some strategies are very timing specific. (laughs) Very good. Very good. Now, Florida, you guys are building some homes. Why Florida? Florida is the number one state for net domestic migration and the second for immigration. So they've got the dual engine. Dad has been there since Hurricane Andrew. He's been there for over 20 years now, fixing and flipping with his best friend. My brother lives out there. Uh, The company flipped close to 100 homes a few years ago. Um, And then lots you can buy for almost nothing. I mean, I'm buying lots for under 10 grand. And I'm building nice houses to rent. Uh, We're building with retail in mind. So the Norris Group is still doing that. um, But we're doing it a little bit more strategically, sitting down with folks and saying, Hey, you know what, if we've been talking to people for years, by the way, this is not COVID related. We've been doing this for several years now. The conversation was more like, 
what's your inventory? Where's it at? Is it time to diversify and upgrade? And it's not right for everybody. We actually have people who decide not to go because we're like, why would you? You've got the perfect inventory. Sit tight. You're done. You're done. Are you bored? Let's get you involved in some sport or, you know, basket <laughs> weaving. Um, it's, but some people love the thrill of the game. Uh, and in some cases, like I'll give you an example. I sold one of my rentals uh, that was needed a lot of work. It was my learning rental. We can talk about that if you want. But I sold that and turned it into three brand new homes that were each rented for what the one was rented for in the Riverside area. And it's brand new. So I, have, uh, I don't have as much repairs that I have to worry about. Um, I had better tenants because they were new houses. And because they're new and they were built as such, uh, if I decide to sell them in five to 10 years, I won't have to do as much because they've got granite countertops. So it's a very specific strategy, not for everybody, but this is what we've been doing. Well, wow, let's talk about that a little bit because it sounds like there's a golden nugget there as it was a learning rental. Let's go into that deeper. All right, we're smiling. <laughs> oh gosh, that rental was um, one of my first. Uh, I got it through a wholesaler, a very experienced wholesaler and longtime friend. And he and I actually walked it together with the current tenant. It was the very first one uh, rental that I ever bought where I was inheriting a tenant. Actually, the second one. And you're walking through and does anything need to be repaired? You know, nope, nope, absolutely not. Everything's perfect. Great. Okay. Anyway, long story short, I close the deal and immediately upon closing, you start getting phone calls. Hey, that back sliders from the 1970, it just fell out of the wall. What? A slider just fell out of the wall? <laughs> okay. Oh, Roots had uh, worked the way into the plumbing system. So while he was at work on a Friday at six on the 4th of July weekend, uh, half the house got flooded. Oh, um, uh, the two huge trees on a very large back hill had to end up coming down because they were dead. And I was in a wind tunnel in this specific part of town. So every piece of cash flow that I would have gained from that house was gone for if I would have hold, held it for a very long time. And it was at a higher price point than I probably should have gotten into. The only thing that saved me is I, I really thought that the prices would increase and sure enough it did. It was the equity gains that saved me, but the tenant had a hard time paying. He was constantly late. It was just very, uh, I've gotten personally out of property management full time because I have bleeding heart. I'm like, oh my God, your dad died again. This is terrible, you know, <laughs> I'm just a sucker. <laughs> Know your strengths and weaknesses and time is money. So I, I do a lot of other things and businesses. So I've decided not to be in the property management side. And that was the, uh, the rental that did me in and let me know that maybe I should reconsider things. So lots of to mitigate your To mitigate your risk in the future, yes. how did yes. you change your, change your way of doing things? Well, um, inheriting... Inheriting tenants uh, is something that I'd be very cautious of. I've really gotten into more of the building uh, new to rent. I really like not having to do repairs. I can't say I'm excellent at it. And I use professional third-party uh, management to help me through the process, especially as, you know, I have quite a, I have a pile of rentals now and it's just, it's too much. And I, I need my sleep. I can't be getting 10 p.m. notifications from tenants. It's just... I have to leverage other people to help me with my time. Awesome. Awesome. Now, whoever you talk to, they're going to have an opinion, whether it's a fix and oh, yeah. flipper, somebody who buys a notes, somebody who buys REOs. I was talking to this one person. 
he said, hey, I had an investment property in Florida. I'm going to totally stay away. You know, hurricanes came in, wiped out my cash flow and my money. What would you say to something? Because so, someone like that, because I believe when one dog bites, they all don't bite. So what would you say to this investor? Or, you know, would you say anything? To it's a question I get often. One of my jobs when talking to investors investing in the state is to scare the literal you-know-what out of them. Uh, we talk about red tide. We talk about hurricanes. And in in the material that we produce, I scare the, the Jesus out of them. It's literally, this is what Hurricane Charlie looked like in this region back in the day. And you show devastation. The reason why is because I want them there because they should be there. Now, we're building up to 2017 Florida Code, uh, which is block construction. You're a full foot above the flood base elevation. There are mitigation factors. Houses that are being built today have to be engineered to withstand hurricanes. So it's not, you know, a mobile home sitting on a lot and that's, you're going to have a Wizard of Oz experience. Um, but I would also like to point out, Dad ended up in Hurricane Andrew because his best friend was there and that's how they made a lot of money. You know, insurance, there's, our, there's ways to mitigate risk, but you, at the end of the day, you have to be comfortable with that risk and managing it from afar, for sure. Perfect, perfect. And boots on the ground, is that important? Uh, if you can't do it yourself, you better have somebody that you trust. Absolutely. Okay. I knew the answer. I just wanted to make sure I tell the audience to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is scary. And, you know, I take landlording very seriously and I want the best for my tenants. And I think part of it is growing up as an actor in New York City where I lived in some pretty interesting housing. I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, with landlords that, you know, in, in a lot of cases, it was rent controlled buildings. And so there wasn't money to fix up these buildings that were over 100 years old. And it was terrible. And I just, I remember what that felt like to live like that. And uh, I, I never wanted to be that. I don't want to be a slumlord. And I don't think most people do. So. Right, right. Now, you mentioned something earlier. You guys were doing fix and flip and then you transition to construction. And I know some people that want to do that transition. Why do you guys do it? And like, how hard was it to transition? You know what? I haven't got that question yet. And there is a story. I don't think I've ever told this story before. Um, when I came to work for the Norris Group in 2005, my brother was already here working full time in trustee sales. Now he is more of an introvert. He's got a construction background. This guy knows how to do systems. I am the extrovert of the family. Like you put me in a good meeting and I'm up for the next 48 hours just excited about life. He's not like that. He's about systems. He's very, we're both very data driven, but he's just really good at that. Uh, and since he's been in the construction industry, he's just, anyway. So he did end up moving out to Florida probably four years ago and was doing um, foreclosure, not foreclosure, well, trustee sales out there, the courthouse steps, buying out there and flipping. And he decided he wanted to go back to school. Uh, you had these Wall Street companies that were running up. Uh, they had a different model. They were buying houses to hold and their margins are razor thin and it was very stressful. And he's like, you know what? I want to go back to school to be an attorney. So that's what he did. So we wound down that side of the business. I was always in, uh, involved on the hard money side. Um, and then we kept getting... Um, dad was already out in Florida. He was very strategically since 2014 upgrading his inventory in Florida because he was tired of the rentals that he had. They were 1980s, Marino Valley, needed work. And in many cases, he held on to stuff that we were buying in 2009 to 2011 where appraisers weren't giving us the values they should have been because there were so many foreclosures in the market. So he's like, 
I'm buying this for nothing. I'm going to hold them as a rental. Um, he was able to sell those for really good price, 1031 exchange, and we got more questions about investors wanting to do the same. So that's how we ended up doing what we're doing right now, helping investors do very complicated 1031 exchanges. So selling an apartment building and getting into 10 on the other side. Uh, so it's fun. You get to be part of people's legacy building is pretty powerful. That's cool. That is so cool, Aaron. Now, I have a couple teenagers. And I'm telling them, hey, do whatever you want to do, study whatever you want to study in college, but invest in real estate. Now, eventually, I'd love for them to work side by side. I'm kind of training them. I'm do, having them do the licking stick, you know, on, on some of these mailers. Well, how did you like transition with, between you and working with your dad? Like, was it a lot of pushback or did you buy into it pretty quick? No, it was total pushback. I was an artist, you know, growing up, dad would pay me to uh you know work in his fix and flips paid me nothing maybe that's why i wasn't excited about it (laughs) just kidding just kidding dad um i really did enjoy the before and after i enjoyed the process and as a kid i thought it was amazing to go into a a garage full of stuff and get to take home a bowling ball or find a dead cat that was in the garage for so long it looked like a hat you know it was crazy i have great stories but it was not my dream and I have to give serious props to dad as he never forced the issue. He would always present me books like, oh, you should read this book, uh, Tony Robbins. I'm like, dad, I'm going to be on Broadway. What are you talking about? You know, so <laughs> um, it was actually, I wasn't even supposed to be here. Um, when I made the announcement that I went to Property Radar full time, I gave some people some background on how I even ended up at the Norris Group. In between gigs in New York City, I worked for Wall Street doing acquisition and merger presentations uh, for investment bankers at night from five to one in the morning at Rockefeller Center. Uh, I, I was even in an elevator with Will Farrell from SNL. We, we, I was wow. in the same building they were and we took the same elevators, it was hilarious. Wow. Um, but I fell in love with data and I was really, I, I enjoyed it so much. I had no idea I had so much left right brain balance. Um, when my mom got cancer again, uh, went to Bone, and in 2015, I moved back out from New York to be closer to family. And I didn't start working with dad then, but I was about to go back uh, to work for Wall Street doing what I was doing in New York. And I had a really weird third interview. It was just by chance. So I was kvetching with dad and um, he's like, why don't you come work for the Norris Group? I want to write this report called the California Crash. I want to help investors get out of the state of California because I think it's going to get really bad. And that's where it all happened. And so I spent the next three years, we created over 1,500 pages of material. We started with the California crash. It was a 400 page report, 800 pages of all the research we did of why we thought it was important to leave the state of California and some states to think about going into that were typically less volatile than California. And then we redid all of our education with the thought that strategies really change depending on what's happening in the market. So all of our California training was very specific to timing. So there is maybe there was 24 buying strategies, but only six applied at any one time where investors should really focus on so they weren't frustrated. Or when we thought foreclosures were coming up like, hey, it's coming. You need this skill, this skill, and this skill. Start working on it now. You'll be the first one there. So that's how it got started. And then I started becoming a landlord probably in uh, 2010, 2011. So this is my first full cycle. Um, And along the way, I had to raise money. We were one of the very first hard money lenders in the state of California to have a long-term program. So we made a lot of people millionaires. We had an eight-year program 
at a sub 10% rate, which I think was the first on the market. Um, and that was not easy money to raise. People were still very scared. So in 09, we launched that product, but we helped investors buy up hundreds of properties below replacement cost. So we have some investors in some areas sitting on houses that have more than tripled in price. Wow, that's great. You said hard money. Some of my audience don't even know what that means. Tell us a little bit about hard money. Such a terrible term because hard money is actually pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> hard money is just the, the, the more it smells like pee, the more you talk to me uh, is something that I used to like to say. It's, it's the ugly stuff. It's the stuff because either the house is in terrible condition, it's a burn down, it needs a lot of work, it's missing a kitchen, or the borrower is it's an investment property. Um, you're not going to qualify with a regular bank because you may have cash, but you look terrible on paper. Um, there is a misconception that you don't need any money. That's not true. You should expect around 20% in the, in the deal at some point, um, no matter what hard money lender you decide to use. Um, but that's just being conservative and safe. But uh, hard money lenders can close in 10 business days or less. It's uh, asset-based. Um, so we're not, necess we're not looking for two years of W-2s. Uh, we're not looking at your taxes, um, necessarily even your income. Uh, we just want to see that you've got enough cash on hand and a good deal and a decent credit score. And what are your points right now up front? Um, what are some of your terms? Oh, sure. Um, all of our fix and flip stuff is under 10% at this point. Um, uh, if you're doing volume fix and flip, it's one point. 1095 in closing costs. Um, we go up to 75% of after repair value. So we have an appraisal done and, you know, we'll roll in the cost of repairs. Um, our long-term program in California is still legit. There's a lot of uh, lenders out there. Yeah, they lie. Um, they tease you with rates that you're never going to get, but Ours is just very consistent. It's 6.9% interest only for three years with the one-year prepay. Uh, and some investors are refinancing out rentals that they've got, pulling out equity. So they've actually got cash on hand. Um, and we're not, California is a little bit hard to make a pencil right now as far as cash flow, but it still happens occasionally. And then we do construction. So we've uh, funded a few accessory dwelling units over the years. The last two years, I've been on the forefront of that. Um, I have an article on Forbes that you can read, uh, ADUs, the, the year of ADUs 2020. Um, yeah, we're always trying to, one of the reasons why timing has always been so important is that as a lender, you can create programs that are strategically positioned for the market. You mentioned ADUs. That's another buzzword for somebody listening. Um, mm. ADUs was a big, big thing. Let's talk a little bit about that for my audience. What is it and... Where do you see it in the future for lending? Sure. Accessory dwelling units. Um, it's not a new topic. They've been around for a long time. Actually, Freddie Mac just released a, a report about ADUs, and I laughed because I couldn't believe they did it, but they brought up Fonzie from Happy Days and Jesse from Full House. I was cracking nice. up. I loved it. Uh, they've been around for a while. They're nothing new. These are little houses that are attached, detached, above the garage, in the basement. It's just the secondary living space. Well, the affordable housing conversation in California has gotten so bad. Back around in 2017, uh, legislators got involved and tried to grease the wheel to specifically focus on ADUs being a solution to affordable housing. Lots of games were played by the, uh, by the different cities and counties doing stupid rules like, oh, you have to have a 15,000 square foot lot. The state got, they're done. 
So this year has been the first full year where they're just like, nope, this is, you have to be able to build an 800 square foot uh, accessory dwelling unit. You can convert the garage. There needs to be a way to convert illegal space as long as it's safe into an accessory dwelling unit. They really grease the wheel. And uh, it's very clear. Cities cannot stop you from building it. There's only three things. I call it the huh method. It's health and safety, utilities, and um, historic or environmental concerns. So there's very few ways that cities can stop you. I, I would hate to see an investor go out and buy a property assuming they could automatically do it. But at this point, if you go to the building department and you ask for the guidelines around accessory dwelling units, they should have a lot more clarity on the in, uh, where you can build in a specific area, the fees involved. But if, you build, if you're building stuff under 750 square feet, there should be very few impact fees even. So in some markets, it's going to be great. I've, I've got some investors who've gotten very creative um, in L.A. Uh, there's a, one investment group that um, renovates the primary residence, and while they're finishing the property, they'll do Airbnb, and they'll uh, <laughs> make a you know $10,000 a month in L.A. on the Airbnb while they finish the rest of the house and the ADU in the back. Um, and the values in L.A. support the accessory dwelling units, somehow they can make it work. Where in the Inland Empire, it might get harder. Appraisers are still, appraisals are still going to be an issue and financing, especially in COVID-19, we found to be an issue. So you just have to keep an eye on it and it's specific to market. You have to be careful. Love it, love it. Thank you so much, Aaron. Uh, let's talk about market indicators a little bit. You're data-driven, right? I know your dad is totally data-driven. For my audience, what kind of, uh, indicators should they be looking for? Unemployment, et cetera, anything like that? Yeah, I think first and foremost, we really have to watch COVID-19 because um, unemployment is a big factor. You know, now we're in some counties are having the secondary shutdowns. You know, how long can this go on? And there's still a lot of stuff we don't know about the virus and there's going to be winners or, and losers and some of it's just going to be across county borders. So I've gotten a lot of feedback uh, from investors here in the Inland Empire that just, they're shocked. They had um, flips in process and they're getting $50,000 more than they thought that they were going to get. And it's people leaving LA. Now that we can talk about working remotely, uh, there's a new podcast that um, I do at Property Radar called Data Driven Real Estate. So datadrivenrealestate.com. Highly recommend you actually listen to Sean and Bruce. Um, they did an hour show a couple weeks ago. And then this week is John Burns from John Burns Real Estate Consulting. Why the two is that you're also going to have a, a different, you have to be careful to really pay attention to the residential versus commercial side. So the density conversation and commercial, I have investors complaining that, you know, entire buildings are going on strike and not paying rent. Um, and those renters, now that they can work remote, are looking for those uh, single-family opportunities and getting out of Dodge, and they can go in the Inland Empire and spend the same amount and get a house with the yard, room for their kids to play in the backyard so they can actually work, <laughs> you know, remotely. Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to follow, and there's going to be some nuance there. So, unemployment, definitely a big factor. I'm watching the virus to watch containment and control. Uh, how they do if we come up with a vaccine or really great treatment um, to watch how the economy is going to proceed for sure. Interest rates, anything else you're looking at? I think interest rates are going to have to stay very low for the foreseeable future. Um, think about all the trillions of dollars our federal government's going to be throwing at this issue. 
you know, they're already talking about another one with at least one T trillion. Uh, I, I don't expect that to be the, the last trillion that they're going to spend on this issue. It's nobody's fault. It's a global pandemic. Um, and people are really struggling. So uh, if they raise interest rates on themselves, you know, and all this debt they've created, you know, <laughs> that would be pretty terrible. And it's definitely one of the ways that they're using to spur on the economy. So, you know, 2017, dad wrote a report called 2% mortgage rates, 40 trillion in debt and other surprise endings. Um, Sean also predicted, uh, actually, oddly enough, pandemic was in his presentations that he was giving in 2015 and 2016 as sort of a black swan event that could really trigger a recession. So here we are, they were both right. And <laughs> um, but as a real estate investor, being able to own something with a sub 4% interest rate potentially. Wow. I, I was in the middle of a refi of a, a new house that I built in Florida and the lender was apologizing to me. He's like, I'm sorry, rates have increased a little bit and it's, it's 4.75% for a 30 year. And I started laughing. I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, I never thought I would get a rental rate at a sub 5% That's for 30 nice. years. It's amazing. So good job. It's time job. to really sit down with your family, strategize, um, be smart. Um, don't get into risky stuff right now. You really have to give yourself a lifeline. Don't, don't be stupid right now. It's not the time. You said you're a buy and hold kind of guy. Are you looking in any particular marketplace to buy and hold next six months, 18 months? I'm going to continue with Florida um, personally. That's a personal decision. You know, you've got to find your own space. I've got family out there. We've built a network out there. Um, I always say to people, go where you're comfortable. I think there's opportunity everywhere. I have plenty of people that, you know, make fun of me because I'm in Florida and California. I haven't gotten rid of all my California stuff because I know I'll never buy it back for what I bought it for. I've got stuff in my Roth that I'm never going to be able to replace and it's spitting out cash flow every week. It's I, every month. You just have to do, go where you're comfortable um, investing in different areas, especially out of state. I think you have to be very careful. And it's better when you know somebody there, when you have boots on the ground that love you. <laughs> and that's not just about you paying their salary. Um, and if things go awry, that somebody can be there quickly. Um, for instance, in, in Southwest Florida, where we've been building, there's no direct flights um, or there's very few. I think they just started some from LAX. But on shutdown, that was really uncomfortable. And you realize, holy cow, if there was a massive disaster, if I didn't have that network that could drive to the properties within you know a couple hours uh, that's uncomfortable um, somebody that could represent me and trust me and I trust them that makes me nervous but I'm conservative so who knows some people might be listening to this and just say you're too conservative <laughs> Tampa St. Pete what are your thoughts in those marketplaces in Florida it's so funny you say that. Uh, John Burns on the radio show this week uh, was saying it's like a mini Hotlanta. It's a mini Hotlanta. It's a, its own little space and it's increasing. Uh, Florida has very different sub markets. So that's one of the places that we've, uh, the Norris Group funds flips. Um, it's a great market. So it's the home of Pete Fortunato and John Shaw. Right. What's not to love? That's you know? right. <laughs> That's why I kind of brought it up. It's a <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great uh, area. Lots going on. Lots of activity. It's a major MSA. I think it's. Um, I've been interesting. I'm I'm that nerd. I almost went back to school for urban planning. So I look at things like, oh, what's mass transit coming up? What's the state doing as far as planning? And they've been talking about a rail system there, and that's one of the stops um, for the uh, a train system that they've been talking about for years. We'll see. 
any favorite things that you love to read to keep up with the data or anything like that? Oh, gosh. I'm looking at a pile of 10 books. Uh, one of my jobs at Property Radar is I help uh, our entire team stay up on all the different facets of real estate. So it's mortgage, it's it's the realtor space, it's the investor space. And I belong to, you know, as a California broker, um, I haven't sat for the Florida broker. I can, I'm registered. I just haven't done it yet. Um, I belong to Hard Money Lending Association, so I stay on top of regulation and legislation for the state of California, but then I also belong to the Association of Private Lenders, Apple, or AAPL. Um, so, and then part of, I'm part of CAR, so I'm constantly getting their magazines, I'm reading the news all the time, and then I try to piece off some time to read other books um, on marketing, public relations, technology. So when I write for Forbes, Think Realty, and Bigger Pockets, it's typically where technology meets real estate. So you're just as apt to see me at CES every year, uh, as, uh, and then, you know, the next month at a local association meeting. I just like to hook around. Any specific recommendations for a newbie investor where they should, you know, instead of reading every single book out there, instead of trying to learn every different strategy, what would you best recommend to somebody who's still trying to figure out, should I do fix and flips? Should I buy notes? Should I buy apartments? What should you, any recommendations there? There's so many, there's a great network of these real estate investment clubs that I think people should really tie themselves into. Um, like down in your area, there's three. Um, uh, SDCIA, um, the San Diego, uh, oh gosh, investment club. I don't know if they're a Phoebe still. And then you've got the North San Diego Real Estate Investors Association. They're fantastic. But I always tell people, investment clubs are like churches. You have to go to one and feel at home. Some are larger, some are smaller, some have, you know, these personalities that are just over the top and they make you smile and love to show up. And some just really resonate with a more quiet, more data-driven approach. So you just got to go show up. Constantly introduce yourself to new concepts. Like I said, there's over 20 ways to do this business. It's about finding yourself in the business. The, the way... The thing that I see the most is people get lost. Uh, they overeducate, they overthink, and they never pull the trigger. I was definitely one. One of my first articles I wrote for Bigger Pockets was sort of that, that story of what I did. I had wanted to start since '09, and it took me years to pull the trigger because I was scared. And I had in my mind I had to be something instead of finding myself in the business. And it took that John Shop book. So even within my own family, all the pressure to be a flipper, and I found out I really enjoy being a landlord, and it's fine. It's just you have to find your path. So going through these clubs, um, just uh, there's so many resources available: podcasts, Bigger Pockets, um, Think Realty Magazine. There's so many good resources these days to read up on. Just plug in and start reading with no pressure, and learn, ask, find somebody that might mentor you, that you uh, sync up with, and seems like you would get along. That's awesome. You are awesome, Aaron. <laughs> Best way to get a hold of you. Anything else you want to promote or talk about on the show before we wrap it up? DataDrivenRealEstate.com. Uh, really, we're going to be having a lot of guests from all over the place. Um, uh, coming up soon is going to be somebody in the commercial space. Uh, another guy is out of Texas, and we're going to have a Wall Street versus Main Street uh, conversation. Uh, a friend from IBM 
talking about artificial intelligence and marketing and where we as business owners have to be, even though we don't think we're participating in anything that has to do with artificial intelligence, what that means for you as a marketer is really important. So datadrivenrealestate.com, Sean and I uh, back and forth do it every now and again. Uh, We are going national this year. So if you're a big fan of Property Radar, we've got a three-day free day trial. And if you love it, hang on tight. We're going to be national in just hopefully a few months. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Aaron, for your time, your wisdom, your stories. Really, really appreciate it. Anytime. Our company is not responsible for the success or failure of your business decisions relating to any information presented by our company or our company programs, products, and or services. 